Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's daily NYFF 60 edition, director Noah Baumbach and cast members Greta Gerwig, Rafi Cassidy, May Navola, and Sam Navola, and composer Danny Elfman discuss White Noise, the opening night selection of this year's festival, with NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim. Opening night of NYFF 60 is presented by Campari. In one of the year's most gratifyingly ambitious American films, Noah Baumbach has adapted Don DeLillo's epical postmodern 1985 novel, White Noise, long perceived as unfilmable, into a richly layered, entirely unexpected work of contemporary satire. Adam Driver heartily embodies Jack Gladney, an ostentatious Hitler studies professor and father of four whose comfortable suburban college town, life, and marriage to the secret of Babette played by Greta Gerwig, are upended after a horrifying nearby accident creates an airborne toxic event of frightening and unknowable proportions. In a tightrope walk of comedy and horror, Bombat captures the essence of DeLillo's cacophonous pop philosophical nightmare on unbounded consumerism, ecological catastrophe, and the American obsession with death. Impeccably matching DeLillo's and Bombach's similarly percussive form of stylized dialogue, White Noise is wonderfully abrasive and awe-inspiring, a precisely mounted period piece entirely befitting our modern, through-the-looking-glass pandemic reality. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF, taking place through October 16th in all five boroughs of NYC, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Noah Bombach and the cast and select crew of White Noise, and don't forget to mark your calendars. White Noise arrives in theaters on November 25th and premieres on Netflix on December 30th. Hi, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm Dennis Lim, the artistic director of the festival. Thank you for joining us for the press conference of our opening night film, White Noise. Uh, I'm going to introduce our panelists, um, starting furthest from me. We have the film's composer, Danny Elfman. Um, and we have uh, several members of the Gladney clan with us. Uh, May Navola. Sam Nivola, Rafi Cassidy, and Greta Gerwig. Uh, and of course, next to me is the film's writer and director, Noah Baumbach. Uh, thank you all for being with us. Thank you all for this film. Uh, I will start with a few questions. Uh, I'm going to start with Noah. Um, you're, you're known as a writer and director. You write or co-write all your films, and it's always been original material. This is your first adaptation. Uh, and it's not just any old adaptation. It's based on this book, this book that occupies, I think, uh, an enormous place in like the American cultural consciousness. It's also a book that's often been called unfilmable. Uh, I'm wondering what it was about White Noise uh, that suggested itself to you as a film. What was it about the book that made you want to see it as a film, to make it as a film? I think uh, a lot of it was the timing of it because I, I mean, the book had occupied a huge part of my consciousness from having read it when I was a teenager and then, but hadn't, I hadn't read it. I'd, I'd read other DeLillo books since, but I hadn't read it for years. And I casually started reading it again 
at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And so I found myself finishing it as the pandemic arrived. And I, it was also the first time in my career up until this point that I didn't know what I, I didn't have a thing that I necessarily felt like alive enough that I knew that I, I wanted to do. So I, uh, I, I sort of set out to do it as an exercise because in finishing the book, I felt like, well, this represents how I feel right now in this book is sort of how the confusion, the fear, the, I mean, it would have been true with or without the pandemic, but it's, that certainly put a finer point on it. And I sort of set out to do it almost to, you know, occupy my mind. And then I started showing pages to Greta and then she was encouraging. And then I got deeper into it and I felt, well, Let's try this. Did it feel like a very different process for you? I mean, working with Delillo's text and really working with Delillo's language, um, because there's something about um, the the prose of the book and the dialogue in in the book. I actually went went. Um, I was looking at uh, reviews of the book from when when it came out, and I found a review by Saul Urich, who wrote The Warriors, um, and he. He, he, he commented specifically in the dialogue. He said there's something kind of heightened about it. You know, on, he says, on close examination, you realize that no one talks like this, and yet everyone does. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> no, I think that's a great way to put it. And I, and it, it's different because dialogue is often is a big part of my original scripts, and it's often how I find the movies. I, I often write dialogue to discover the characters, to discover the story, and... Uh, and the rhythms of it are something that I pay close attention to when I'm shooting and the actors, we, we really. And so it was a new thing using DeLillo's dialogue, but it felt very familiar to me. And I, in some ways, it wasn't different because my dialogue is also my original dialogue is also very stylized. But I when I when we make the movies, it's it. it part of the design of it is that it feels naturalistic, but actually if you break it down and so maybe it's in a way going, it's almost the opposite of what you'd say about Delillo's where it's sort of clearly uh, artificial, but actually if you have these, these actors do it, it can create its own recognizability, its own naturalism, you know, in this sort of heightened world. And I wanted to stay, you know, I felt like, well, I have to figure out a way to create a kind of cinematic analog of what Delillo's Lillo's done in a literary way. And, but I wanted the movie to have its own version of this sort of elevated tone, this, this, this real, but not real feeling that I, that I have. And I think most people have when they read the book. Yeah. I'd love to hear the actors talk about it. Maybe Greta, maybe we'll start with you. I mean, this, this process of turning these characters, which um, I think in the book, you know, are, are a little bit abstract, but turn, turning them into flesh and blood, characters um the, it's quite faithful in terms of you use a lot of delillo's dialogue in 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 your screenplay um so i'm curious greta you want to say a little bit about that process i mean yeah i certainly it, it, you know the relationship a reader has to a book is very different than obviously an actor to text and i think there, but I will say, even though there is, you know, something heightened and something surreal and sort of floating above the earth about the entire, not just the dialogue, but the entire world he builds, which feels adjacent to our world, but not exactly our world. Um, there's also something about it that very much makes you feel like you want to speak the words out loud while you're reading it. 
And while Noah was reading it, he he kept sort of saying, listen to this, you know, and then he'd read it out loud. And then he had he had me reread it. And then I was then I was like, wait, no, no, listen to this. And everybody has there's something about this book, too, that everybody's got their favorite lines and their favorite parts and their favorite thing. And they want to tell you about it. And they're sort of mad if you didn't use the whole thing. And you're like, well, it's you know, it's a film. It's that's a book. This is, it would be impossible to fit every smart, amazing thing Don DeLillo wrote into it because it's um, it's just every page. You're just turning the page. I, I write in books, and I was just underlining everything. Um, but I think you know, to the the question of like, how do you make that psychologically real? It's it's tricky. It's not it's not quite like Brechtian, but it does feel. It has that sort of. You, you have to inhabit it as a person, but it's also operating at a different level. And I think that um, what was what was really helpful in that was getting to rehearse with all of us. And being, we, we got a month of rehearsal, which is extremely rare. So me, Adam, the kids, Don, Don we all got to be together working on these scenes um, in the locations. And as soon as it's embodied, it stops being esoteric and it stops being so heady it just starts being lived in i wanted to, to bring the other actors in as well but um noah maybe you can talk a little bit first about casting and how you put together this this family this cradle of misinformation <laughs> <laughs> um well, uh, Greta cast herself in it while I was writing it. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and I agreed right away. Um, and I had uh, been, you know, I've worked with Adam a lot and, and I'd been thinking already and talking to him already about maybe doing something. So I sent him the book also and I said, like, see if this even feels like something you could do or would want to do. And he got very excited about it. So while I was working on it, I, I, I knew Greta and Adam and, um, and, and that was, that was compelling to me also because generally in my, my films, I work with actors to, to, to get, I, I'm, I'm interested, not in a literal way, like that I, I want to know, you know, what they're really feeling or what they're thinking about, but I want them to play the parts generally as close to themselves as they can. And uh, in this case, performance felt like the right thing. I felt like they sh it should be you, but not you. And it should. So casting someone like Adam, who wouldn't maybe necessarily be your, you, you, you know, you wouldn't think about right away. I felt that was a kind of exciting thing. And Greta with the hair, the important hair. And, and then after that, I, 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 I knew the kids were going to be such a big part of it. So that was just auditioning. And I worked with Doug Abel, the casting director who I've worked with for years, um, and we've cast a lot of kids over the years, um, but it always is daunting. And I really, you know, I got very lucky. I mean, they were uh, wonderful. Two of them are actually lived together or related, and uh, <laughs> um, uh, which um, was was a happy accident to find to have that happen. And um, and then Rafi auditioned from England and was, you know, fantastic. And I'd seen her in a couple of things and it was just, it becomes then it's just a process. It's of, you just have them read and read and read and read with different people. And, and, um, and this was the pandemic. So most of it, it was all over zoom really. Um, but, uh, 
you know, it's, 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 that, that was, that's always that thing too. If you can't find the kids, you know, you kind of can't make the movie, but you don't want to admit that while you're doing it. Um, Rafi, Sam, and May, maybe we can bring you in. Greta was talking about the rehearsal period that was, you know, important for the shoot. And um, I, I was, I guess, especially curious about some of these, you know, family, these almost like very kind of chaotic family scenes, these were um, was filled with lots of crosstalk, and especially in the kitchen and in the car. I'm just wondering if, you know, you can talk about your experiences working, especially within those scenes. Um. I had, I th well, I think we all had such a great experience with the rehearsal process, even before we did the months um, rehearsing together, me, Sam and May um, worked with Noah, just going through all of the, you know, um, the lines together and just being so comfortable um, so that we could then, we kind of all went away separately and sat on those lines with it and then when it came to rehearsing I so vividly remember doing the kitchen scene which almost became like a dance um like everyone knew their positions it was rehearsed and then when it actually came to the day it was uh yeah we knew what we were doing it was great yeah yeah it was and we also had um an awesome choreographer called David Newman who really made it all kind of feel like a dance in a certain sense which i think worked perfectly because it was like every little spin was carefully thought out and it it made it a lot easier to think about you know what you were trying to do in your own head when you can sort of be settled in your external environment and whatnot. I think it was also really nice to like especially like Greta was saying with the rehearsal is like being with like your like new family and like having that experience to like like be like be with them and um rehearse with them for so long and like it's kind of like you get to love them and get to know them and and it really feels like your actual family and I think like especially like with you know Sam and Raffi is like even I've known Sam for all my life but I got like way closer with him than I've ever been um so that was really nice and with Raffi too like she, it was just lovely to be able to have that experience and it definitely made us like closer and better actors for when we were actually like playing the role of siblings. Yeah, my suggestion to them was that they are like a radio that was turned on and then at the beginning of the movie and then they just talk the whole movie. Whether we see them or not, they're just still talking and then when, when it's over, you turn it off. <laughs> Okay, I want to bring in the musicians um, before I open it up. Um, uh, this is the first time you're working with Danny, right? It is, yeah. yeah. And I think the score... Not the last. <laughs> uh, I think the score plays a big big role in how the film like orchestrates its tonal shifts. And I was wondering if the two of you can talk about what you had in mind, what kind of reference points, and you know, save it by your collaboration. Well, um, from my side... It was really exciting because there's no genre in this film. And to have a film that has no genre that tells you the type of music you should write is pure joy. And then, of course, working with Noah, um, everything was fun and pleasurable because he just has ideas and nothing's more enjoyable for me than just trying things. And uh, we first met by Zoom. He was already like 
well, can you start on some music right away? And I said, well, I'm in the middle of this Doctor Strange movie, but okay. And I just wrote some stuff blind and sent it to him. And the next thing I know, he's cutting my music into the movie in ways that I hadn't even uh, thought. And then we just got more and more into trying things. And uh, it was really, I've worked on, I think, 110 films now. And this definitely is one of the most enjoyable. There was no moment in the film that I dropping into a scene that wasn't just a pleasure to work on. There, was, there wasn't these struggle sections of like, oh my God, how am I gonna get through this section? It was just the chemistry of everybody is so wonderful that no matter where I dropped in in the film, it was just pleasurable. And Noah would feed me ideas and we would just play up and back, uh, bounce things, kind of like try this, try something completely different. And What's more enjoyable than that? I mean, for me, it may have been horrible for Noah. <laughs> Noah's fantastic. I mean, even our first conversation, I I would say I I would just talk about the movie and what I thought the themes were, even non musical themes, just sort of what I was like, well, how we. I thought I thought in broad terms that the first section was in a sense is is the systems that we've and strategies we've created for ourselves to keep death at bay our own you know to keep this illusion of immortality going and the second section is here comes death to our door and it's real but we don't have any way to to we don't know how to acknowledge its reality because we only know it from movies and and from a distance uh and the third section is okay now you've seen it what are you going to do now do you go back to the same strategies do you can you can you can do those things hold up under this with this new knowledge and i would basically say something like that to danny and then i would hear silence and then danny would come back on the phone and say i'm sorry i was just i had an idea and i just didn't want to lose it so i went and started <laughs> writing down some stuff and recording a little bit of music while I was you were talking. Um, so then I would repeat myself. But he was it was amazing. He was so alive with ideas all the time. And um, and that was that was the whole process. I went actually to, to his studio in L.A. And even while we were still editing, uh, Matt Hannum, the editor and I, and we we basically set up shop without asking him while he was there. And he would he would come record and do and play around with things. And then he would come and knock on the glass and then I would come out, we'd listen, we'd talk, I'd go back, I'd go cut. His music would influence the cut, the cut would influence the music. It was it was really an ideal, wonderful situation. Yeah, it was the first time for me working like that too. And I loved it. Everything was instant. Response was instant. And uh, I guess that's the kind of thing maybe an actor has that experience going through dialogue with the director, but as a composer, you don't get that kind of quick, try something, play it, try something else. And so uh, it was new for me too, but it was, uh, it was great. I, you know, I hope we do it again sometime. Um, and we have to talk about the closing credits. Uh, James, you have worked with before, I think. And, uh, you know, I think there's been this thing in your films where they, they sort of sometimes just become musicals. Um, I think, you know, Francis Ha, there's a moment, there are moments. And then obviously the Sondheim songs in, in Marriage Story. And, and can you say a bit about your decision to, to, to end this way? Um, this is, you know, obviously something that has no um, corollary in the book. You're just, you know, devising this fan musical fantasia to close the film uh, and and if you can say a bit about working with with James on that yeah well in the in the writing of it I when I arrived at the end I 
I, I think, I mean, it's such a literate book and it's a literate script and movie, uh, uh, you know, because of the source material. And, and I felt sort of in a way that the movie had given me permission or, uh, to, to do something that felt nonverbal, sort of like that there was a way to kind of something that was be kind of pure cinema and, and be something that was visceral and pleasurable and exciting and a way to both celebrate life and death at the same time. And I'd worked with David Newman, um, the choreographer who, who, um, as, as, um, Sam was talking about, worked with us the whole movie. Um, and he'd worked on marriage story with me as well. And so I went to him and then I went to James and I had this idea that James, if James had lived in the eighties, which in a sense, he, I mean, he did live in the eighties, but if he'd made movies in the eighties, if he'd made movies in the eighties, uh, music in the eighties, he would have, um, he did make music. Anyway. If I'd heard any of the music he'd made in the eighties, um, that I was like, basically, why don't you write the song that you would have written then? if you were trying to make a hit. <laughs> no, I didn't say that part because I knew he'd have a nervous breakdown, which he did anyway. He did anyway. Uh, but I, I felt like, uh, you know, James, I've worked before, as you say, and I, and we're become quite good friends since Greenberg when we did work together. And so I, I, I had this idea. I was like, why don't you write a kind of joyous song about death? <laughs> I'm just going to ask Noah one follow-up question and I'll, I'll open it up. Um, you talked earlier about, you know, just looking for like, like cinematic analogs to DeLillo's language. I'm wondering if you can maybe speak more broadly about that. I'm curious about like finding cinematic analogs or cinematic expressions of like the idea of white noise, you know, because you, which is so important to the film and white noise this idea of sensory bombardment, I think, comes across differently in cinema than on the page. And so how, how, how you worked with that idea. You mentioned the kids and, uh, and their talk like a radio, you know, and, there, and one of their other ideas. Yeah, I thought I thought a lot about it. Well, because in, in, in a sense, a lot of what is described in the book is visual and, and, and oral and sensorial. And those are things a movie can do that a book can't do. So I thought, why is this unfair? filmable you know this 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 is really easy to do um by i so i i thought a lot about you know this sort of goes to the the way we use the dialogue and we mic'd everybody and uh, you know i um you know i thought about robert altman movies as is one uh uh sort of influence in that way of, of, you know, miking everybody and having everybody speak at once, but also playing with focus so that when the audience is watching, they can both just sit back and let it all kind of just be noise, or they can kind of go in and, and, you know, we're helping them out, but, you know, they'll, they'll start to hear what they need to hear if and they want shooting to. Anamorphic. And we shot an anamorphic, uh, 35 millimeter anamorphic, which, you know, of, of course creates, you know, that very specific frame and aspect ratio so that you can also see many things at once. You can both get the, the, uh, you know, if you, if you do a close up of a face, it's very powerful, but you can also pack the, the, 
you know the the frame and you can do things right and left i mean there's so there's there's so much you can do i also love the movement that anamorphic if you move when you're moving uh the camera anamorphically and how the you can pick things up in the corner and you know and, and uh you know one person can come in this way but they're picked up much earlier than they would be normally and um it's 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 the first time i've worked that way and i really uh enjoyed it i mean it's challenging too but i really enjoyed it i i i also thought a lot about visual white noise in a way of of how the supermarket is a is a kind of obvious example of that how it's both if you see it from above as we do it's color and it's just a mass of information as in color and but if you're down in the, the aisle and you're looking for that very specific thing or reading the ingredients on a package you're all the way down in that that moment and we did that throughout the movie even in ways like in the barracks um i i was influenced by a, a shot in notorious the alfred hitchcock movie where um it's a wide shot of a party and it's an establishing shot but then the camera goes all the way down 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 and ingrid bergman is holding goes down to her hand and then it becomes a close-up of a key in her hand and it's so much story in one shot and but it's also this sort of the broad to the specific and i thought well of course this this movie is is about that in so many different ways you have the country you have the individuals in the country of this family in the country it keeps going down and so that shot in the barracks it's sort of a wide shot of people going to bed and things and it goes down and then you know by the end of it we're in the pill in babette's hand and so th that was a guiding principle and those were cinematic you know just examples of cinematic ideas i had that were you know influenced by not specific scenes necessarily in the book but but concepts ideas um you know that that delillo puts out there all right, we're going to take some questions, and I think we have mic we have a microphone. So if you raise your hand, somebody will come to you. You you mentioned the dialogue being simultaneously real and unreal, and I felt the same goes for the costumes. I think you worked again with Anne Roth, the wonderful Anne Roth, and um, uh, it felt like the family dress the way they eat. Uh, and uh, uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, I mean, Anne Roth, uh, yeah, I've worked with her a few times. Um, uh, uh, you know, amazing friend, collaborator. Um, I love working with Anne. And Anne understood immediately just exactly that, that sort of real and unreal thing jess goncher the production designer same thing and what we we talked about in a sense was a sort of authenticity to the period but not any really specific year or you know that it was that was to keep things you know both with color and style uh again that uh, that that thing of keeping everybody just just slightly above the ground you know and um uh and and is Anne is a collaborator in that in in the in the way that she gives you everything. I mean, she obviously is an amazing uh, costume designer, but she she helps me direct. You know, and actors will go for fittings and come out suddenly knowing so much more about who they are and 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 
and I mean, at this point, an actor will say to me at some point, I'll say something, a line of direction. I'll say, well, Anne thought maybe, and I think, well, Anne knows best. Let's just go with what Anne says. Um, uh, no, she's, she's, you know, I, I feel lucky to have worked with her. Uh, yeah, right there. It's a terrific film. Uh, oh, thank you. But it's the kind of film that we're, when we write about it, we're going to say everyone has to sit and wait for the end. And I wanted you to, I wanted to ask more about the the whole how you conceived the ending, the the dance number in the supermarket. The music is fantastic, and I'm just reading here that LCD Sound System is going to do ten dates in Brooklyn, and this is your first single in five years. So if you if the music was great and the choreography was great, can you just talk about how you thought of that as an ending? Because it's not part of the novel, so it's it's completely original and it's wonderful. Um, yeah, well, it's it's you know as 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 I was saying, I think it was a, it was a, I, I felt like I, I'm always interested in movies how in in in, in when I'm directing movies how. That how often the sort of the story or the mood or however the movie progresses, that it gives you permission to do something that was unavailable to you earlier at an earlier point in the movie. And and I'm I'm always trying to be aware of that as a director and a writer is, you know, um, I mean, examples from, you know, I mean, from Marriage Story, the when when Adam sings being alive like that, that's something the character couldn't have done earlier. It's something the movie couldn't have done earlier. The camera moves differently in that moment. It's simple. It's just a push in, but it moves differently in that moment than it moves at any other point in the movie and uh and i felt similarly about this and this movie has so many things going on in it that i felt like we were given permission all the time to try something new to to, to do you know move another place and it has so many genre elements baked into it too and i was always wanted to be kind of aware of what was available to me genre wise him going to the motel that we're in a kind of 80s noir movie now it's a it's you know something alan parker or adrian line would have done brilliantly then that uh you know and i thought well maybe we can also be a musical and maybe the movie has allowed us that and that that was uh you know a, a big part of, of you know part of its intuition in the moment a lot of it is and then later you define it but but that's how i would define it now yeah right there um, I had a question about um, which, uh, how, how you decided which of the many kind of um, parodies of uh, sort of cultural theory soliloquies that are in the novel, how you chose which ones to include and which ones to not include, obviously, has not include a lot of it. There's one scene in particular that I really expected to be in there, which is the New York Emigres interrogating each other about where they were when various uh, uh, classic Hollywood stars died. James Dean, Monty Clift, John Garfield. So I was wondering how you chose. Part of it is, you know, in the beginning, um, I mean, Joel and Ethan Cohen have a great quote about when asked about how they adapt other material. I think it's, you know, uh, 
and Joel says, I hold the book open and Ethan types, you know, uh, and I think um, in the beginning when you're adapting a book, you are everything is possible and you are going to use all of it, you know, and and it's with this book in particular, as I'd go through it, I'd be like, well, I got to include that. I have to, you know, we have to do that. And so there, I mean, there's that the, that moment with the professors there's there there's there there are many great moments in the book that i um when i would sometimes go back to the book i'd be like oh wow yeah hmm <laughs> could have used that well no well all right anyway i must have had a reason at the time you know you kind of you know there are things i shot that i ended up taking out as well because it, it you know the movie has its own it, it's its own it becomes its own thing and um and it has different needs and wants than than a novel does obviously um and so uh it it isn't even like oh i'm not going to use that i'm going to use that um it, it really it becomes what what is going to help me tell the story you know as as i see the story in, in the movie and and i follow that uh yeah right there uh, my question is on the wall. So the middle section of the movie, they become the elastic film. Uh, it's pretty impressive speed working. It's got, you know, it's an action scene, crowd scene, and set piece. Um, did that feel like it stretched you because you haven't seen you do that kind of stuff before? And my question for Danny is, how do you approach scoring some of the bigger scenes uh, in the context of the overall narrative, which is about you? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there were definitely um, more people in this movie than in many of my movies combined. Um, uh, uh, but it, it, it becomes the scale is, is, you know, there are things that you want to be attuned to, but I mean, it really is the storytelling it's, it's shooting the family in the kitchen, shooting the family, evacuating the boy scout camp. It, it is, uh, essentially you're following sort of similar principles and guidelines and things, which is to, to be true to the scene and, you know, in, in the, get them from A to B and, 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 and understand how you're going to cut it later so that you have what you, you feel you need. Um, so I, it didn't feel different to me, you know, I, I'm, I'm, but, you know, I understand your question. I, I'm working with, you know, stunts in a way that I haven't before. We also did everything practically as much as we could. So the train crash, the evacuation, the, the creek, the car in the creek. I mean, that those are all, we did those things. Um, uh, um, even the cloud has a lot of cloud tank stuff in it. So it's got real cloud in it. Um, you know, partly because I wanted to be true to the, to, to the period in a certain way, but also because I, 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 I find that that way of doing it, you know, both it's more fun and challenging, I think, but also um, from an aesthetic perspective, I find it more more pleasing. I, I like, you know, like I'm more afraid looking at the creature from the Black Lagoon than I am, you know, a digital monster often. So, but, you know, I don't know if that's a common thing we're all we have. Um, all right, I got the sign that we have time for only one more question. Uh, so, all right, let's go to the very back then. Um, I was wondering for anyone who wants to answer how your own fear of death, like kind of influenced your character, your direction, your music, 
if that is something you suffer from. Good last question. I'll, I'll jump on this first. The first thing, <laughs> the first thing Noah said to me when we met on the phone was, "This movie's made for you, Danny. It's all about death and fear of death." <laughs> and he was right. It was like, "Oh my God, that's so up my alley." <laughs> so he had me nailed <laughs> with that line right there. That's all I needed to know. Yeah. Yeah. Super scared of it. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, it was, uh, you know, in a way, I mean, there's so much, again, to go to the thing of the sort of heightenedness of the movie and the heightenedness of the book. There's this, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so smart that to sort of explain it, you end up sounding kind of like a stoned teenager because you're like, no, 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 it's doing two things. And that, but, but I do think it's like, it's sort of like it chronicles all the ways we distract ourselves. And then in that, it allows us to delight in it as well. So then you're delighted by the distractions that have already been given to you, but he's pointing out that you're just, there's like a kind of multiple mirrors happening. And, um, you know, in the same way that, that, you know, like academia f flattens everything, commercials flatten everything, uh, new, you know, news, media, like it, it all sort of, it's like you have a commercial for M&Ms right after you've got a plane crash footage and that's the same value and it comes through the same thing and you've got Elvis and Hitler and it's all the same and there's a way in which we welcome the flattening to our own psyches because we don't want to know that we're on just a trajectory that goes one direction. So we think, oh, that's good. We Maybe we're all flat. Um, and I think, uh, uh, you know, it, to play the parts is to sort of steep yourself in the distraction and let the fear poke through. Yeah, which is also how I think that's. Uh, you didn't sound like a stone teenager. You sounded that was great. I mean, uh, I was yeah. pretty. Uh, <laughs> I was smoking uh, that good California uh, shit. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think we wanted to look and feel that way too. Is that it? That it can be beautiful. And even if it's, you know, even if we know what the supermarket is, you know, essentially. Uh, you know, designed to do to us and for us, it also does look kind of amazing and it is beautiful. And I wanted to celebrate it as well as, you know, allow for you know, whatever else we might think about it to, to enter into the and also to the sort of like the way that we were talking about the dance and he was saying he wanted to make something that was like a celebration of life and death. And then we were talking about it. We were like, well, that's the same thing. I mean, if you're celebrating all that is, you're celebrating that all everything that will end you just inherently are because it's going to and everything about having like a heightened choreographed dance in the supermarket as if what you do in the supermarket anyway isn't a codified dance that we've all agreed on the rules we're already dancing it's just you can see that this is a dance and the rest of the time we're pretending like it's just behavior That was great. Don't think we're going to top that. We should, yeah. <laughs> I, think we should, I think we should wrap it up then. Uh, we are out of time, actually. So thank you to all of you for thank being you, here. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks.